the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Good afternoon, Northern California. Welcome. Just about five minutes after the hour, 5 p.m., as we welcome you to another edition of Lifeline. Keeping you company Monday through Friday at this time, as we typically do, addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. When you think about your own personal financial goals, what things are important to you? Accumulating wealth for your family's needs? Maybe building assets for your retirement? Certainly for all of us, things like safety and peace of mind are critically important. And these days, creating a means of beating inflation. Maybe you saw the news recently. The Social Security Administration announced that it is going to be providing in 2022 a historic cost of living increase. 5.9%. At least you get excited about the additional money that mom and dad might be receiving in their Social Security check. Believe me, one visit to the grocery store or the local gas station will show you what comes in, goes right back out, and then some. So safety, security, and a hedge against inflation, critically important. But where can you go to find those things? Well, we've got some insights today. Joining me is special guest Michael Cordoba. He is the president of the Gold Financial Group. Michael, good to have you with us today. Pleasure. Thank you for having me, Craig. Appreciate it. I would suspect in your years in business and talking with clients all across the country, uh, I would imagine issues like safety and now beating inflation have got to be kind of the, the top priority list. Absolutely. That's pretty much what most of our clients have uh, top of mind recently because they see what's happening with inflation and everyday prices. And, of course, as that's skyrocketing, folks say, okay, I, I need to look at some options. A- and one of the issues that kind of runs, I-, I think, in tandem with inflationary concerns, and that is the extreme volatility on Wall Street. And, my goodness, people remember the dot-com bubble burst of 2000, 2001, the derivatives debacle of 2008, 2009, and then we've been going through this this emotional roller coaster of COVID the last couple of years. And while we've seen some pretty remarkable um, response on Wall Street, you never know when that uh, proverbial (laughs) gravy train may pull into the station. And when folks look at that kind of volatility, it also means that you don't necessarily have any safety when it comes to beating inflation. So let's spend some time talking about precious metals. And, And maybe a good place to start is, in terms of your business, why did you even start the Gold Financial Group? That's a great question, Craig. Back in before the market had crashed the last time, I was in advertising and uh, more specifically in real estate. As the market was literally coming down off or coming with the crash, uh, we saw a lot of people uh, lose their houses to foreclosures, REOs. um, And I was trying to figure out, like, 
how could we help our friends, families, and neighbors? Because you could literally drive up and down streets and there was foreclosure signs literally on every fifth house at that, at least where I was at. And so um, one of my colleagues was already in gold and silver at the time, back in 2008. And um, I just pretty much offered uh, a few family friends some ideas on just buying some gold and silver just as um, a way to diversify your portfolio. And oddly enough, at that time, I had no experience in the industry. But one thing I did notice is that gold and silver ended up running about 30% that year, which helped offset some of the losses within stock portfolios as well as um, the uh, real estate investments. So that kind of perks, raised an eyebrow um, and basically led me to this industry to learn more and how I can literally help, again, friends and family. And that's where I decided to, to come into the industry because I saw that. So that success then led to saying, hey, if I can help friends and family, let's extend that list of friends and family across the state, across the country. And of course, Absolutely. you've got clients everywhere now today, helping people do something. And you use the word a moment ago, and I'd like to have you maybe elaborate on it. You use the term diversification. Folks hear this word bantied about all the time, the talking heads from the financial advisors that are on CNBC and whatnot. But when we say diversification, what do we really mean by that? Well, everything, the, when most people talk about investments, majority of the, the, the main investments are going to be stocks, bonds, mutual funds. And those are all denominated within cash, the United States dollar. So when we talk about diversification, we talk about hard assets like your real estate properties, your gold and silver. Those are physical, tangible assets that you can hold in your hand to diversify outside of the dollar itself. So you have something real. And that diversification in tangible assets, important not only because, as we've begun to allude to, it's a hedge against inflation, that during extreme inflationary times, we typically see precious metals rise up with everything else, So, which means you're keeping pace or beyond when it comes to protecting your, your fundamental investment. But the other notion, too, and we've seen this happen on Wall Street, the company that's hot today is not tomorrow. You can be all in in the the stock market and suddenly discover, gee, this is great. We've just put all of our life savings into WorldCom or Enron. <laughs> and suddenly, oh, wow. before you yeah. know it, it disappears overnight. So that sense of diversification, particularly not only across investment vehicles, but into tangibles, can really be kind of the, shall we say, the sleep factor for a lot of folks. And maybe you can elaborate on that. It, just in terms of the history of precious metals like gold and silver, why is it, in your opinion, Michael, that they tend to do so well during troubled times? Gold and silver tend to do so well because it's a stable investment that we've noticed in the past 20 years. Um, basically, J.P. Morgan just recently released a 20-year comparison chart within um, taking the S&P 500, the Dow Jones, real estate investments, and it showed gold over the last 20 years has performed pretty well, second best performing asset class. Um, so it's definitely done well for investors only because it provides a safety net and sense of security. And it's proven to outshine in most cases in sense of inflation, but also dollar devaluation when the Fed decides to print more money like we're looking to do now. 
Yes, indeed. In fact, there was even talk about minting a trillion dollar coin just so they could try. You know, Washington, D.C. seems to have a clear disconnect from not only Wall Street, but certainly from Main Street and the rest of the world. If we ran our individual budgets the way the government runs theirs, we'd all be in the poorhouse. But that said, this notion of safety that is historically available to people through investment vehicles like precious metals um, can give folks also a sense of safety and security that, yes, certainly diversification and not putting all of your proverbial eggs in one basket is critically important, but also to be in a different market sector, which is essentially what you're talking about. Some people hear the word diversification and they think mutual fund and they think that they've you know, done the job, but if it's in a single asset class and suddenly that asset class, like energy, for example, takes a trouncing, you're not really diversified. You're, you're really exposing yourself. So let's talk a bit about your recommendation in terms of when we look at diversification and include within our asset mix precious metals, is there any kind of a rule of thumb, Michael, in terms of what that percentile of our overall assets should look like? Is it 5%, 10%, 50%, 90%? What does that number look like typically? Well, it's a good question. I think it's individually based on the individual themselves, depending on um, what we've noticed within the last 10 years. On average, we would recommend more than 30 percent on average as a general rule of thumb, just because you want to give opportunity for your investments to grow in case there is an issue or a correction uh because we do have cyclical markets, correct? So if the market does turn or the stock, S&P 500 or the Dow Jones, those turn 30 or 40%. Luckily, if you have 30 or 40% of your investment in gold and silver, it would hopefully offset some of those losses to balance out your portfolio. But I wouldn't go past 30 in my recommendation. But clients are free to do whatever they choose. It's just our recommendation not to go past 30. And as you point out, that really is an individual decision. And, you know, you might want to get, uh, you know, kind of kind of gather your counsel together and get some advice uh, in terms of uh, how you ultimately decide what that asset mix looks like for you. When we talk about typical clients of the Gold Financial Group, what does that profile look like? Most of them love God and individual freedom in the ability to have something that's private that they own and can control themselves um, as opposed to having their money tied up in the markets, uh, looking on a computer screen, ones and zeros behind it. So that's most of our client profile, um, family oriented. um, And mostly most of our clients are out of California. So do a lot of them take um, actual possession of the gold itself or is it held in certificate? So there's two ways to go about it. If you have a retirement account, such as an IRA or a 401k, the IRS has approved facilities that will allow us to place physical gold and silver on their behalf, stored at a depository that's approved by the IRS. Um, otherwise, you can, if you're buying with just cash sitting in a bank account, you're more than welcome to buy it. It's a private transaction. We ship the investment to the doorstep. And whichever you decide to do at that point, hide it under or tuck it under your bed or dig it up in the backyard, (laughs) you have a safe entirely up to you. It's your investment. We're talking with precious metals expert Michael Cordova. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of our conversation as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. 
Hey, welcome back to Lifeline, our conversation today with Michael Cordova. Michael, of course, is the president of the Gold Financial Group, talking a bit about challenges to the economy today, to your personal economy, and how you can gain a hedge against inflation. Michael, I want to pick up where we left off just before the break. And there's, I think, something to be said for, again, that that tangible sense that this is my property, I have it, I hold it, it's not sitting. What does it mean when I have money on Wall Street? I'm I'm in California, <laughs> New York. Wait a minute. So that 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 certainly in terms of providing investors options and that added layer of safety and security, peace of mind, really. So if they want to take physical possession of the gold, you can certainly do that. Let Let's spend a moment, if we can, along those lines uh, quickly. Sometimes, Michael, folks will say, well, what about investments in gold coins? That's something that's tangible and they're pretty and you can hold them in your hand and they look nice. But is there an inherent downside to that in that? Hold that thought, please. Just get rid of that. That's the one. Of all the phones I didn't turn off, that was the one. Uh, okay, let me pick up from it's where. Okay, it's that's okay. right. Uh, so you can hold it in your hands. It's pretty. It's nice. It's shiny. But there is perhaps a downside to investing in coins, and that is that a big part of the value is tied up into the condition. Whereas when you're talking about troy ounces of gold, it, it's gold. It, it, it's not molded in anything. So so long as it's pure ninety nine point nine or whatever percent proof gold, you're you're in good shape. So is there an added risk when you're trying to get into gold coins? because of condition affecting the value? Right. So going back to the two types of ways to invest in gold and silver, yes, you can buy coins and bars. There's really three ways or three categories of investing, and that's the rarities market, the numismatic market, and bullion market. We tend to stay away from uh, the rarities market, just like buying Rembrandts and Monet's. Um, It's just not in terms of investments so those we kind of steer away from those so we focus on numismatic and buoyant buoyant more so because you could see it daily trade on the market banks buy into it to offset their portfolios which is why we always recommend you buy if the banks are offsetting their portfolios and diversifying so should you but because we deal with buoyant the high purity of that you are working with um, the big banks in terms of their buying and spending power. So when it comes to numismatics, you're absolutely right. There's, there is the conditions. And when we talk about conditions, uh, depending on the older coin, have intrinsic value in addition to just general supply and demand of the coin itself, like a bullion type of coin. So the, the, the great thing about the, when you invest in, an IRA or 401k, the IRS has limitations on the type of metals that you can purchase. And that is only bullion type of assets, which is minted majority of the time by the United States mint. A lot of the coins come with certificate of authenticity for your protection. Um, but in terms of working with regular cash, you have the freedom and flexibility to buy into bullion but also buy into numismatics to give you the intrinsic value, the hold value a lot stronger than a bullion coin would. Let's spend a moment and talk about what it's like doing business with the gold financial group. Some folks might recall back in the day, they would have people that would come into town to a hotel and they would buy and sell gold, things of this sort. It, it kind of had a carpetbagger feel to it. And I think some still, people may still happens. still happens, really. And I think some people hear that and think, 
You know, I, I understand what Michael's saying about safety, security, peace of mind, hedge against inflation. I, I like all of that. My concern is I want to make sure I'm, <clears throat> pardon me. My concern is I want to make sure I'm working with a company that's going to be here, not just today, but tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, and a company that understands my unique needs. I've got some challenges in terms of what I'm trying to accomplish for my family, building wealth for retirement, maybe preparing for a child's education, things of this sort. What are some of the unique differences then that folks would experience in doing business with the Gold Financial Group? It's a great question. Uh, we pride ourselves on being a boutique precious metals company. We uh, we have the opportunity to grow by leaps and bounds because we have clients that call us on a daily basis. Uh, luckily, uh, we we are not afraid to tell a client that this might not be the right vehicle for you based upon your financial goals and objectives. Whereas most companies and competitors have 40 to 50 individuals and you're just a number running through with us. You're at home. It's like the cheers um, uh, show where everyone knows your name. And uh, that's kind of like what we have here. When someone calls every, all our clients know the entire staff, there's a high touch point. We pride ourselves on quality communication and relationships and I think that's what sets us apart because you can pick up the phone, stop by the office and see that we're real individuals. Um, to answer your question on if we're going to be here next year, next month, five years, 10 years, um, God willing, we're all of us are still alive. Nothing happens with COVID. Um, but I'll be here until God calls me home, basically. But to answer your question, the World Gold Council, I read yesterday, listed gold as the second most liquidable asset on the planet. So even if I was not around, you could take it to any country, any state, city, there will be a precious metals dealer that will buy back your investment. Let's talk about that personal touch that you referred to a moment ago. Now, I can anticipate what some listeners are thinking. They're thinking, yeah, Craig, you're a radio talk show host. Of course, you can get on the radio and talk to Michael Cordova, the president of the Gold Financial Group. But if I run into a problem, I'm never going to be able to talk to him personally. Is that true? That is, he, Every client has direct access to me. In most cases, whether you pick up the phone one of my guys will either answer or I'll answer myself personally. But at the end of the day, every purchase, I always make sure that I call the client just to verify that they are happy, that they have the right investment. And so they always get a phone call from me. But the beauty is, again, I'm in the office literally six days a week. So more than welcome to stop by, say hi. And in most cases, it's times too, depending on the location, if clients can't are unable to see us, we do not mind stopping by and visiting with clients personally as well. So to offer personal touch. Well, I think that gives listeners also an added sense of security because then if they do have a concern, they can pick up the phone and actually talk to the president of the Gold Financial Group. And I think that personal touch really, particularly these days when we're so used to, you know, press number four for customer service, leave a message, we'll call you back in eight days. That really makes a big difference for a lot of people, doesn't it? Absolutely. We've had clients since day one still on board with us. Um, it's, it's a beautiful thing. It's relationships that we care to build at the end of the day because we want to make sure because we are a faith based company that we align ourselves with all Christian values and 
basically just want to make sure that our clients are happy at the end of the day. And like I said before, gold isn't for everybody, but if we could find a way to help you, we're literally just here to help. Now, Michael, before we came on the air today, you shared an example of the difference in the current value of buying gold, uh, say, compared to today to what the gold prices were back in 1990, um, that compared to a savings account, for example, over that same period of time. Can you kind of share details on that for listeners? They get a little bit of an understanding in terms of that hedge against inflation. Absolutely. So, for instance, um, I was just looking over the last 20 years how our, how gold fared well against the dollar itself. And so if you compared a $100 bill over the last 20 years and take the same $100 bills and invested it in a gold coin, today the gold would be worth over 9 to 10 times where the, do- the $100 is now worth $49. So that's a clear indication that the value of the dollar is losing or losing its value, but gold and silver are definitely keeping your value intact through the years. And if folks had had that same $100 sitting in the typical passbook account over that period of time, <laughs> they've paid any attention recently. If your bank offers you a free cup of coffee when you go in, take it, because that's worth more money than what you're getting in interest. Isn't it point oh 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 something percent today? It's pretty, pretty uh, dismal, isn't yeah. it? It's horrific. Um, I think that is the last place you want to start your investments these days. Yeah. So if you're looking for peace of mind, safety, security, diversification, a way to get a hedge against inflation. Why not get more information? Contact Michael Tordova or any member of the Gold Financial Group team. You can call them toll free at 800-429-0985. That's 800-429-0985 or reach them on the web at thegoldfinancialgroup.com. That's thegoldfinancialgroup.com. Whether you've been a long-term term investor in precious metals or are brand new and just want to get more information, get some advice to see if this is right for you, then call them today. They're always happy to answer questions. And when you call, you might even have the president of the company answering the phone. 800-429-0985. That's 800-429-0985. Or see them on the web at thegoldfinancialgroup.com. That's thegoldfinancialgroup.com. Well, Michael Cordova, thank you so much for the time. It's been a real education, and uh, we'll look forward to visiting with you again. Hey, I want to say thank you, Craig, for everything you've done for us. And to your listeners, um, we are here to help as much as we can. We love that sense of uh, not only concern for meeting listeners' needs, but also that real sense of family as well. You'll notice a difference when you deal with the Gold Financial Group. Michael Cordova, the president of the Gold Financial Group, again online at thegoldfinancialgroup.com. That's thegoldfinancialgroup.com or toll free 800-429-0985. That's 800-429-0985. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Gary Beckner joins us now, Executive Director of the Association of American Educators. And I understand a a new survey out, uh, cooperation between Gallup and Phi Delta Kappa, looking at the state and perception of public school education and the public teachers in America. Give us some of the the highlights, if you would, Gary. Did did we learn a lot about changing attitudes or changing perceptions based on the, uh, the experiences in places like Wisconsin and Ohio? Oh, 
we have. And by the way, Craig, thank you very much for allowing us to be on the air with you. We appreciate it. Even though we're the fastest growing national organization of our kind, we're probably still the best kept secret, too. So this is a thrill to be on the air with you. Uh, yeah, the Phi Delta Kappa Gallup survey, it, it just came out this week, uh, indicates what we as an organization have known for quite a while uh, from our own surveys, that Americans um, are getting very frustrated with, and unfortunately they, they're getting frustrated with teachers, but that is misdirected, that anger, because the, the Gallup survey actually kind of underscored what we know and that Americans really continue to support their teachers, but not their teacher unions. And that disconnect is really giving teachers a black eye. Uh, the survey showed that 71% of respondents said that they have trust and confidence in American teachers still. However, when asked about the teacher unions, only 47%, actually 47% said they believe the unions have hurt education compared to only 26% believing that unions have helped education. So we've got to work hard to separate uh, this, synony- this anonymous uh, connection of unions and public education uh, and get back to just uh, teachers and helping teachers to do what we do best. Do you think there's a level at which the, the black eye that has come, and again, I agree with you, I think a lot of the anger, the frustration has been misdirected, but do you think there's a level, Gary, that a, a degree to which the black eye that has been given to education by the unions uh, is, is deservedly? Sure, absolutely. When, when you just follow the, the takeover of public education by unions uh, since 19, or the mid-1960s on, I mean, I, I just want to go back for a second. Even, even then, when it started to happen, when the unions started taking over public education, uh, even leaders of the NEA thought that was a bad idea. I mean, in a, in a Nostradamus uh, moment in 1968, the former NEA executive secretary, uh, Dr. Bill Carr, William Carr, warned the convention members at the NEA convention that this would someday lead to to, to, to destroy the confidence of the public in, in education. Well, i got to tell you, because, and, I, and I asked that question, uh, Gary, not, not to necessarily throw uh, stones, but uh, years ago I obtained a copy of a publication that was produced by the NEA and the California Teachers Association entitled Guidelines for Academic Freedom in the Public Schools. And when I read what the union thinks about conservatives and uh, those that are concerned about getting their children a, a quality-based education that still protects the, 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 the mores of the family uh, and who the union considers to be their enemy. I was appalled. And I thought, you know, you're, you're painting the majority of the parents that send their kids to your schools as the enemy here uh, and they're not the enemy. If anything, I think the perception by a lot of parents who really understand the agendizing of education that's been perpetrated by the unions as, as the unions being the real enemy of both teachers and students in education. Absolutely. There, there's so much evidence just following. There's a wonderful book written by Dr. Um, Dennis Cuddy, C-U-D-D-Y, of the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, some, some years back. He was working in the uh, Reagan administration, I believe. Could have been, could have been a George Bush Sr., but I think it was Reagan. And he, did, he just uh, was flabbergasted when he started uh, coming up against some of the education reform initiatives that the Department of Education was trying to put out, and then seeing the pushback from the, from the NEA in particular. The AFT was there as well, pushing back. But he started investigating the history of why they would be so against reforms that would be in the best interest of teachers and especially kids. 
and he discovered that they have an agenda that has nothing to do with educating our children and has very little to do with actually protecting and helping our teachers. It's all about changing, transforming this country from a republic into a socialist nation. And if you and you you think we overspeak this, but we can give you the booklets and we can show you from our own research, actual document that we produce called Powerful Failure, how the National Education Association fails to use its influence for education to show you that their agenda has nothing to do with education and very little to do with helping teachers. Oh, I tell you what, uh, Gary, you're preaching to the choir here. I don't think you overspeak it. If anything, I might suggest maybe you underspeak it. <laughs> uh, you know, the, the agenda that is promoted by the unions that actually is sold and separate from the agenda supported by most, you know, rank-and-file teachers are, are miles apart. You know, it's interesting because I have long believed that, that education is a partnership, that it ought to be a, a dual responsibility between the parents and the teachers. I don't don't think the parents ought to just dump their kids on uh, public educators and expect them to come back, you know, after a six or seven hour study day. Uh, brilliant. Uh, there's no accountability. There's no effort put in oftentimes by parents today. And I think that's a dirty shame. And I think the poor performance numbers that we're seeing in many of our schools across the country, the, the responsibility of which needs to be borne out by both the teachers and the parents. That said, I've often wondered why so much pushback by the unions. Hello, CTA, are you listening? Why so much pushback by the unions to create any kind of system of accountability? I've got to tell you, one of the most dangerous things, I think, to public education or the success thereof today is this whole idea of tenure and the idea that just by the amount of time in service, you somehow magically reach the location or, or, or the position in your scholastic career as an educator where you're now exempt from any level of accountability, that you no longer ought to fear lack of performance uh, you know, that doesn't happen in the private sector. If I don't perform at my job, the boss will come in one day and say, you got to straighten up and fly right, or guess what? There's 10 other talk show hosts sitting behind you that would be happy to have your job. Why do the unions t- think that teachers ought to be exempt from that level of accountability? Well, Craig, uh, you'll be, first of all, you'll be happy to know that it's the union's agenda. It's not necessarily a teacher's agenda. I, our own surveys have indicated that our membership, which... You have to understand our members would be people that are looking for an alternative, a professional alternative to labor unions, so they would have a different point of view. But these are top teachers. These are national teachers of the year. These are good people. And they would agree that our our last survey showed that 73% of uh, our members thought that the Colorado policy, the new policy for teachers in that state, where teachers can lose tenure if they're deemed ineffective for two consecutive years, our guys, by a vast majority, thought that's a good idea. I mean, there should be no job for life, especially if it has nothing to do, especially if you're a poor performer. I mean, it's just, so you'll be happy to know that many, many, many teachers agree with that. Well, I know that some that have told me and confided in me privately have said, you know, uh, there's, there's nothing worse for our profession than those who are tenured, who have given up who maybe should never have been in the profession in the first place, and as a result of their protected status by the unions, ultimately drag everybody down. You know, that notion of one bad apple ruins the whole bunch. Mm-hmm. Well, remember, the union's job is to protect jobs. That's their job. And their their goal uh, is to make sure that uh, legislatively across the country, as in California, this is a constant battle in states across the country, 27 states in this nation the unions, like in California, are allowed to take dues from teachers' paychecks, whether the teachers want to 
have be represented by that union or not. See, I'm I'm comfortable with the role of unions in collective bargaining and protecting you know teachers' rights and teachers' benefits and and you know uh, work labor uh, labor hours and things of that sort. I'm fine for all of that. Uh, my problem, Gary, is when the so-called interests of the union or interests of the teachers are now running contrarian to what is in the best interest of the parents and their students because in the end teachers have to realize these kids don't belong to you and the minute you think that you've got so-called academic freedom to begin teaching a standard or a moral that runs contrary to what is taught in my household we got a big problem that's right well change is only going to come when enough of america's teachers wake up to the fact that being inextricably linked to labor unions will never allow them to get the kind of respect and rewards they seek and, and Put it another way, here's the bottom line. Teachers will never get the pay they deserve if they continue to be linked with organized labor. All right, I want you to stop on that for a moment, Gary, because I have got the 64,000, oh, it's more than that. It's got so many zeros behind it. The question is unbelievable. I have a question for you that I have yet to have a professional educator ever be able to answer for me. Maybe it's going to be a first here on Lifeline. We're talking with Gary Becker, Executive Director of the Association of American Educators. Bit of a different tone, as you perhaps detect, from what has been the typical dialogue with representatives of the CTA or the NEA for some inexplicable reason who will no longer come on this program. Don't know why. We'll, t- <laughs> we'll see if Gary's still on the line when we come back after the... Nah, he's brave. I'll be good to you, Gary. But I got a question I think you'll find fascinating. Let's come back with more of our conversation right around the corner. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Gary Beckner with us, Executive Director of the Association of American Educators. All right, Gary, did I lose you? No, I'm here. You're still I'm there. I'm bra- you're a brave man, Gary. All right. Here, here, multiple choice. Here is the question that uh, multiple presidents of the California Teachers Association on this program have refused or have been unable to answer. Um, and we even had a spokesperson from the NEA, the national level, uh, not, not answer either. All we ever hear when we talk about budget cuts and trying to manage the budget, in a state like California, for example, 50 cents out of every dollar goes to education. Okay? So if we have a $110 billion budget this year, $55 billion is going singularly to education. We think about everything the state of California does, and 50 cents out of every dollar goes to education, and then our kids cross the uh, the stage there when they receive their diploma and can't even read the diploma, we know something's wrong. Here's my question for you. California, on average, and, and, and we're going to be generous, kind of work with me here for a moment with the numbers, Gary. California, on average, is spending about $10,000 per student. Can we agree to that? Yes. And on average, most classrooms have about about 30 students. Would you agree? A little less than that, but but, but ballparkish. Yeah. All right. So if it's 10,000 per student and about 30, let's let's tell you what, we'll go with a smaller number. We'll say 25 students. So $10,000 per student and 25 students per classroom, that means $250,000 by my math. Am I right? Yes. Okay. $250,000. Would I be overly generous, Gary, if I said that? $50,000 $50,000 was going to the educator's salary? Uh, that's low for California. That's low for California. All right. So what are they making? 60000 64 average. 
64,000? Yep. Uh, all right, 64,000. So let, let, let's let's just take it over the top. We're, we're going to say uh, approximately uh, after we've paid the teacher who's earning an average of about $64,000, we'll do some round numbers here, uh, $185,000 of the 250000 per classroom that we began with is left over. Can you explain to me where is that money going? So this is a true-false question, or this is, you actually want to know where the money is going? I want to know where the money is going, because I have yet, even Jack O'Donnell, our former uh, superintendent of public instruction, when I challenged him on this thing, I said, you we're constantly asking for more money. Our teachers are typically underpaid for what they have to put up with, the hours that they put in, and the vast responsibility that they have. Look, I think most of you ought to be paid $100,000 a year, no questions asked. Right. But then, as we're constantly hearing the unions beg for more money, more money, more money, more money, I've got to wonder, where is all of this money going? If it's not going to the teachers, and in many areas of the state, we own the buildings outright, how are we managing to spend $185,000 per classroom that's not going to the teachers? Okay, well, I've got an answer for you, but it was a long question, so you have to give me a a minute to develop it. All yours. Okay. First of all, let me tell you that as an educator organization, uh, we would agree uh, we obviously agree that an educated public is the most important factor in maintaining our republic. Uh, so we would agree that to pour, we would agree to pour more money into the system if, and here's the big caveat, if it could be guaranteed that that money would actually reach the classrooms for teachers' salaries and student materials and, and conditions, et cetera, and not be gobbled up by the bureaucratic blob controlling our public education system today. Now, let me give you an example by way of New Jersey, a new film, what's happening, which underscore what's happening in California and where that money goes. In New Jersey, there was a new uh, documentary that just came out on the heels of another great documentary called Waiting for Superman, uh, and this one's called The Cartel. And it shows what's happening in New Jersey, which is absolutely a, corollel, a, a you know, corollary with what's happening in California and, and other large uh, states uh, where the unions are holding sway. And that is, it showed that there are over 400 school administrators in Newark, one city, that made at least $100,000 a year. 400 administrators in Newark that made at least $100,000 a year. Not one teacher made $100,000 a year. So this whole system is so upside down that the money goes into a black hole, but it's kind of an inverted pyramid, and it stays at the top. By the way, these union leaders that never will come on, they won't talk about this either because these are some of the highest paid guys in the state. And that's off the backs of teachers' dues, which comes out of taxpayer money as well, as you know. So the money goes down a black hole, and it's called the bureaucratic blob. We have more administrators in jobs doing nothing. I mean, we don't even make some of these administrators even step foot in the classroom and teach anymore. That are It's just like our United States government. We have... What was it? By the year 2025, there are going to be more people in the Department of Agriculture than there are going to be farmers. Well, that's what's happening to our public education system today. Let me interrupt you, Gary, and say what a breath of fresh air. You have done, you've gone where no man has dared to go before. You have finally, I knew the answer, by the way. I was waiting for an educator to finally have the guts to articulate the answer. California, and this is not real recent information, but some of the research that we have done 
when you look at the layers of bureaucracy, as we have, you know, the local board of, of education, and then we got the state board of education, and then we got the feds on top of that, and everybody having something to say, on average, we're looking at three people collecting a salary in the state of California attached to education for every one actual educator in the classroom. Yeah. I tell you what, Gary, that's not wrong. That's criminal. It is criminal. And the fact that you've got administrators that are these these glorified paper pushers right. that add nothing, not one iota of quality to a child's education. Sorry for those of you that do it and are listening right now. You can send me the Haiti mail later. Not one adding one iota of a caliber of education in the classroom to any of our kids. You know what? I tell you. I could free up money to increase teacher salaries overnight. We would deal with the lack of school materials and books and and overcrowded classrooms overnight. I would go through and lock, stock, and barrel, number one, we don't need three layers of administrators telling the teachers what to do. Look, let a local school board make the decisions, the state level, the feds, goodbye, you're out of business, gone. And this whole idea of three administrators for every one classroom teacher, flip that around. If you flip it around, I'm okay with that. I wish that your colleagues would have the guts to go publicly with this crime that is being perpetrated on taxpayers and parents and students and pull back the cover as you just did now here on radio and 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 let everybody know that what is fundamentally wrong with education today is the stranglehold the unions have on the teachers and the stranglehold that the bureaucracy has on education. I couldn't have said it better, and apparently it's a good answer. So do I get $64,000? You know what? If if you work with us to get more people educated in this arena, Gary, absolutely, and then some. Hey, we're out of time. I want to have you back on, Gary. I'm sorry we're out of time here. We're going to get you scheduled on earlier next time on the program. Um, I like this organization. And finally, somebody that knows how to tell the truth. American Association of Educators, aaeteachers.org. If you're a teacher, find out more about them. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.